going to turn to, to read God's Word. Um, reading again from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we started last week just reading at the start of it, in, uh, at the beginning of the Gospel, which seemed an apt place to begin a new year. And I thought we might just follow through the Gospel of Mark right up until we get to Easter. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Um, it's only 16 chapters. And what I would really encourage folk to do, whatever other Bible study you're doing, or maybe, or maybe you've got out of the way of it, um, to try to read the Gospel of Mark. You can read it in about a, an hour or, or a couple of hours easily, but that we might get familiar with one of these Gospels. It's, it's a Gospel that's just full of little stories about Jesus. And so let's begin reading at Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Let's hear God's Word for us. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out with a shriek. People were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but He would not let the demons speak because they knew who He was. Very early in the morning, when it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, 
let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Amen. And thanks be to God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, we read these stories of Your Son touching lives then, and we pray that as we read them and consider them, that we would find Him touching our lives now. We pray that this time might be fruitful for us, not because clever words are spoken, but because Your presence ministers to us where we are in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you were watching um, much television over the, the festive period, but um, we sat down to watch the ITV drama, Mr. Bates versus the Post Office. Picture. Oh, no, it's my fault. I haven't moved on. It's, if you haven't seen it, I, I, I would recommend it. You'll find it on ITV or the, 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 the repeat programs. It's one of those things, if you haven't seen it, you'll certainly have been hearing about it. It's a story of falsely accused sub-postmasters, but more than that, it's a story about an injustice that's actually been known about for over a decade. And when I began to watch it, I began to realize that actually little bits of this story I'd sort of read in the background before, but I had never really stopped to think about it. And yet, suddenly, something that had been going on and been reported and been in Parliament and gone through the courts and all the rest of it, and didn't seem to be getting that much attention, a drama is made and we're all hearing about it. And if you've watched that, I don't know how, how you were, but suddenly, everywhere I'm going, people are talking about it. Is that, is that fair? I, I, you know, it's, it's been talked about from, I guess, the local hairdressers to the people meeting in the street, to folk having a coffee together, to be mentioned at Prime Minister's Question Time, to have the top civil servants in the land pr pr producing emergency legislation, and it's likely to impinge on the general election when it happens this year. Suddenly something that was happening but no one was paying much attention is absolutely everywhere. It, it, it's getting what the commentators call cut through, traction. Suddenly it's there. It's grabbing us. And I guess one of the reasons that story grabs you is it, it's grabbing you intellectually. You know, what's happened? I need to understand it. It's grabbing you morally, because I don't know if those that saw it, we, we, did you feel outraged? I certainly did. How on earth did that happen? How on earth did people do that? How did they live with themselves? It's grabbing us emotionally. It's grabbing us politically. We're looking to see who's done wrong, and it's getting action. Suddenly, we've gone through long, long court processes, but suddenly, somebody's going to do something, a law next week or next month, and it's going to change things. We're looking at the Gospel of Mark, and as I said, we're going to follow it between now and Easter. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's probably written down maybe as little as 20, 30 years after the events that it's talking about. 
just as that first generation of people who were really there is maybe beginning to pass and it's needed to write down. One of the traditions is that Mark was writing down Peter's memoirs. Um, can't be sure about that, but that idea of, of having to write this story down. And if you read this little book, what you'll get is, unlike John where there's sort of long dialogues in Mark, it's like, this happened, that happened, the next thing happened, bang, 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 excitement all the time. And it starts and rushes in with Jesus suddenly arriving on the scene. Now, that contrasts it with the other Gospels. If you think about it, Luke's Gospel begins nine months before Jesus was born with the story of Mary. Starts right at the beginning of the life of Jesus. And if you go to Matthew's gospel, you get these long genealogies that say, no, 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 no. The story starts with God through the prophets. It starts with Abraham and the blessing. It starts with back in the Old Testament, and Matthew takes us back there. If you go to John, he, he even outdoes Matthew. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and through God everything was made. He says, I'm going to go right back to the start of creation itself. But Mark in his shortness and his brevity, just says, look, let's just talk about Jesus, what he did. Bang. Jesus arrives, 400 years of nothing happening. Before that, years of little things happening, promises over generations. Jesus arrives, and suddenly, it all starts to happen. You know, the Old Testament's a thousand years or more if you go right back to creation. The book of Acts is decades that come after that. Mark is actually just the three years of Jesus' ministry. It's not even his, his, his whole life, just his ministry. And in fact, half of Mark, the second half of it, is just the last week. Everything's condensed into something. That time when suddenly there was traction, when suddenly everything started to happen. And there's an excitement about it. Mark has a favorite little word, and, and just to give you one word of Greek to show you're getting value for money, it's a little word called euthos, and it gets translated different ways, so you'll, you'll miss it if you read the English translations, but broadly it says, right next, suddenly, right after that, right? It's that idea of bang, bang, it's happening, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and in fact, that word suddenly or immediately, you'll find it translated in different ways, um, happens 40 times in those 16 chapters, and 10 times in the first chapter. This idea of Jesus turns up, and things start to happen. Life start to change. Jesus shows up, and bang, 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 you better expect things. And that's where it started right at the beginning, as we saw last week. Mark start, begins by saying, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And because of the, the way that the Greek language goes, that could be the, good, the beginning of the good news from Jesus Christ or told by Jesus Christ, but it seems much more that it's, it's saying the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. He is the good news. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. It's Jesus that makes all the difference, bursting into the world and changing everything. And it's summed up in verse 15 what Jesus said. Oops. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near repent and believe the good news. I'm here. This is the time things are happening. Now, immediately, 
lives begin to change. We see it in the first little verses after that where he talks about Jesus calling the disciples, and it's just a few verses that tell us the beginning of the story of Peter and his friends. And if Mark is recording Peter's memories, these are certainly a very sketchy telling of it. If you read the other Gospels, it starts to tell us about Peter being a fisherman and Jesus using his boat. You know the story, and he uses the boat's a pulpit, and Peter listens, and you can sort of begin to think how that might work. And if you read the Gospel of John, you'll find out that Andrew was already a disciple of John the Baptist, and all sorts of things happened before that. But when Mark tells the story, it's much more succinct, and it's almost as if I think Peter saying it. Look, basically what happened when you cut through all is Jesus showed up, and my life changed forever. And you get it really succinct here, don't you? Jesus comes along, He says, come and follow me, and they do. It makes all the difference in the world. His message, His calling has traction. It has cut through. Suddenly, things are going to change. I wonder, for some of us, we can point to points in our life where preaching or the Bible has had that traction, where we have really felt actually God speaking. And then, it's not just Peter and Andrew. It's James and John too, the next part of the story. Then they go to the synagogue, which is in Capernaum, which is Peter's hometown, and there Jesus begins to preach. And things start happening again. And as the, he preaches there, here's what it says. Whoops, gone too far. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. What does that mean? He taught as one who had authority. I suppose I could come this morning and say, well, I, I've got authority to teach. I've got one of these on, you know? Didn't just go and cut that out of a, a milk bottle earlier or whatever else. You can do that. Um, I've got authority to preach. I've been to university, and I've got the letters after my name. I've got authority to preach because the, the, the Church of Scotland has ordained me and, and given me a license to preach. And by the way, that's not just for ministers. You can, those licenses are, are, are also given to, to readers and to, to, to OLMs, as we call them, and they can even be given to members of the congregation if they want to train uh, and have a calling to preach. But it's still that sense of the wider church saying, you've got authority to do that. Um, but is that that what this is talking about? Did Jesus sort of scrub up at that, that synagogue that morning and, you know, the, the rabbi said, have you got a BD? Ah, oh, I suppose you can preach, you know. You've been ordained, Jesus. I suppose we'll let you preach, you know. Is that what it's about? No, I don't think that's what it's about at all. It's about something far more than that. It's about something about Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is that you might have thought, well, that must come from the way he preached. Maybe he was a great preacher. Maybe he used fantastic illustrations. We know that because we've got lots of them recorded. But Mark, when he told us that Jesus was preaching, his content was just Jesus came along and he preached the good news and, and he told people to repent. 
What is it that this is referring to? Well, let's look at what happens next. A man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, we can talk about that later, cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What's happening here is Jesus is preaching, and there's this guy interrupting. Now, any speaker or preacher knows what that's like, and you try to be kind, but actually it's just like, I've knocked me off my course. I've forgotten what I was going to say. I've lost my place in it. Oh, gosh, I wish they'd be quiet. You know, that's how you are if you're speaking at any meeting, isn't it? Those that, those that do any public speaking. An interruption is never, never welcome at all. This man isn't just interrupting, he's, he's ranting, and he's putting maybe Jesus off his game. The, 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 the other problem is it's not just the preacher that's put off his game. Somebody starts doing that, and you think the crowd who have been listening intently to me are distracted, aren't they? They're beginning to look around. What's going on? And then notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, be quiet. Sometimes uh, preachers are tempted to do that. Uh, um, it's not a good idea. Uh, I've heard of preachers where some families come in and there's a ch child that's being a bit noisy and they've said from the front, can you take that child out? Dreadful thing to say. Almost certainly that family won't be back. But Jesus says, be quiet. Shut up, he might translate it. I am not going to be interrupted. I am not going to be distracted. Now, that's teaching with authority, but we might say that's problematic, but it's there, isn't it? And then he says something else, and it's just three words in Greek. He says, come out of Him. And you see what Jesus is doing here. This, this, this evil spirit, this, this sense of something wrong is interrupting what Jesus is preaching, but Jesus is saying something else. He's saying, no, you will not interrupt me. I will interrupt you. You will not blow me off course because my word has come to blow your life off course, to silence that evil, whatever it is that's going on in that man's life, to silence the ranting and to bring that man into a different place, his life in all of its despair brought to a different place. And it's at that point, it's at that point where, it's gone off the edge of the screen, they say, Wow, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Now, here's my point here. When they talked about authority, they didn't say it because of the content of what Jesus was saying or the wonderful stories He told or the fact He'd got some qualification or the fact He was an amazing speaker or the fact He was forceful or the fact He was blunt or any of those things. The authority that they're talking about is, gosh, this changes lives. This has the power to simply say, that's not happening. Shut up. That's happening. Get out. You see what I mean? Jesus has turned up, and there's traction. This man's probably heckled a thousand rabbis before this. But when Jesus turns up, 
it changes things. When Jesus turns up, the Word of God that maybe had been read from the scrolls or whatever it was year on year and never really made a difference to this guy, probably he's coming to the synagogue because, you know what, when people have got problems in their life, they know, thankfully, that a church full of religious people is a place that they will find some acceptance. It's one of the reasons that quite often around churches, there's quite a lot of troubled people. That's because, actually, if the church is doing its job, that's a place they can come, even when they're a bit disruptive. So here's this guy come. But finally, that year, as Jesus is preaching, the preaching's caught through. This guy's life has been changed and transformed. And that's what it's all about. And that's why it comes right after Peter's story about following Jesus, because he's saying, the same thing happened to me. This guy comes along and speaks, and, and just, wow! The traction, the cut through. And here's my question in this. Do we believe that Jesus still does that? Do we believe as we look around the folk that we care for as a church, that we encounter as a church, that we walk through in the street, that we have something to offer? Like that, that little episode that happened to Peter later on in the book of Acts where he walks through and the man comes up and asks him for money. And what does Peter say? Silver and gold, I don't have it. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's not just about supernatural healings. That, that, that's maybe part of it. But it's a belief that the Word of God changes lives. Because unless we believe that, we'll never do mission. Unless we believe that, we'll never talk about Jesus. We'll talk about the church, and we'll talk about how welcoming it is, and how great the coffee is, or whatever else it is, but we'll not talk about the power of the gospel. And I would invite us this year to come back and to read the stories, to listen and look around us for what God is doing. You know, I've been wandering around parts of the Church of Scotland doing this rather depressing thing called a presbytery plan, but as I've been doing that, one of the things that comes up time and time again is, why are folk hanging in there? Why are folk keep doing that? Why are folk setting that up? Why are people? And the answer is because Jesus is in it, still changing lives. And here's the other part of the question, do you believe that Jesus changes life? Do you believe that Jesus changes your life? Because some of us are stuck. We've become Christians. God's Word had traction in the past, but we now we've come to a point where we've got stuck in not helpful patterns, spiritual patterns, discipline patterns, habits, a relationship to God that we've got stuck. And I, and I, I would simply say, come back to Jesus. Go read the gospel. Read it not to learn, but read it to encounter that man again, that preaching again, and know that that's what He wants to do in your life, that the gospel might have cut through, as it did for Peter, his whole livelihood, everything would change for him, as it did for this broken man, and as it kept doing, as you read this suddenly, suddenly, suddenly of the gospel. That is why Jesus came. That is what the good news is. So, 
Jesus starts that day by the Sea of Galilee, calling the disciples, and it's a Sabbath day, no? He goes into the synagogue, and He preaches, and the man's life is changed, and then we're told they go for lunch. Well, what else do you do after church on a Sunday? Peter says, come around to my house, where he and, I don't know, Andrew stayed, and James and John come around, and um, the, but the men sort of look a little bit embarrassed as they come around, I guess, because uh, who's made lunch? Mom's not well. Mom's upstairs with a fever. And again, Jesus is going to change everything. So that that woman is healed, but also that woman is suddenly able to come. And I don't think this is just about the domestic getting the food. She's transformed, so she is someone else who is coming to serve the Lord Jesus, just as the men have done. A woman there, right in the beginning, her life transformed, in fact, serving Him in a way that the men haven't done. And that, again, we find it again and again in the Bible. It's very ordinary by the sea, in the church service, in the house with lunch, and yet, these are the places where Jesus is doing the revolutionary. You know, in churches, sometimes we get bored with the ordinary. We think we should be doing something brand new and sexy and, uh, you know, a new way of doing things. And there is a time for that. There is a time for that. Sometimes we're far too timid and we need to shake things around and we need to see God working that way. But there's also Jesus working in the ordinary patterns, the week in, the week out, the BB leaders and the, 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 the discoverers and the elders going out to visit and all the things that we do week in, week out as we serve our neighbors and our friends and all of these things. And it is God that works in that as well. But we also need this expectation that Jesus will do something new. One of the things in, in, in this gospel as Jesus arrives, it's reorganizing people's lives. The church is often too timid. We, we, we sort of want to do a, a risk assessment before we think about the change, don't we? And we'll need a committee. <laughs> have to have a committee. I, I remember that someone parodied Onward Christian Soldiers with a, a verse that said, like a mighty tortoise moves the church of God. Brothers, we are treading where we've always trod. You know, and it, and, and it goes on like that. But actually, we need the expectation that when Jesus turns up, everything is up for grabs except that lives will be changed. And it calls us not to words, but to action. The Word became flesh, says John. And Mark, in many ways, just starts by showing us the flesh of people's lives being changed. He doesn't worry too much about the words. We'll get some words in, in the Gospel of Mark in, in Jesus' teaching. John, John will give us a lot more you know, one of the troubles is that sometimes the words becomes flesh and the church wants to turn them back to words again, mere words. There was a little experiment done in Princeton University, uh, one of the great seminaries which teaches a lot of preachers in America. And they had a class of people training to be preachers and they, they told them that they were, they were going to get a special lecture on the Bible story of the Good Samaritan from the, from the Gospel of Luke, and afterwards they would get a test. Well, you can imagine all the students turned up for the lecture that morning, and they brought all their notebooks, and they wrote down everything, and they made sure that they were listening, and, you know, because they were going to get a test afterwards. 
So they listened to the preacher and they listened to the, 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 the scholarship and they, they wrote everything down so that they could have it all in their heads. And then they were told after the lecture had finished that the test was going to be at the other side of the university and in, in, in it was going to be one-on-one, -on -one, so they would have to go individually to the other side of the university. And as they walked to the place that they were going to get the test, they were interrupted by a scruffy guy who stopped and asked for help. And 40% of them failed the test. Because the test wasn't words. It was whether those words changed lives. Had entered our heart. That's the gospel. Let us, as we look at this, see that transformation. And that is what healing means. Yes, I believe that Jesus physically heals and we should pray for healing, but not everyone is healed. The word that's used in the Gospels is the word for saved, and it means that God loves us body, mind, spirit, soul, relationships, place that we're in, families, the whole lot, and Jesus enters into all of that, all of it. And that's important. We could spend an awful lot of time on what does that demon mean in Mark. Maybe we'll come back to that as we go through Mark. But actually, one of the things that's important is to see this, that Mark's not focusing on what the nature of evil is. Yes, there's, there, there's illness, and Mark knows that's different from what he's talking about when he talks about evil. Yes, there's sin, and we'll talk about that later. There's all sorts of different things. The important thing in the gospel of Mark is whatever the question is, Jesus is the answer. We're not here in Mark to get an understanding of all of these things and what they mean and how we would put that today, but to know that whatever the evil is, whatever the brokenness is, whatever the illness is, whatever it is that's there in our lives, Jesus wants to meet us and transform us. The other thing to note here is that Jesus has this very, 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 very busy day. Walking in the morning, calling the fishermen into the synagogue, preaching, man transformed, into have lunch, a healing there, and then that evening, there's thousands of people at the door with all their lives getting changed. And by the way, that's a Sabbath day, the day of rest. <laughs> you know, sometimes ministers say, oh, I've had a really hard Sunday. You know, <laughs> Look at Jesus. And that's a Sabbath day. But here's the thing. This isn't just an activist gospel, although it is that. It's not just saying to those who like doing things, we're not going to do a whole lot of words. We're actually going to see life's change. We're going to be bang, 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 doing, doing, doing. But even here we see Jesus withdrawing. That's very important. Because the reason lives are changed is not because of a flurry of activity. The reasons lives are changed is because the Lord God Almighty has sent His Son, and even His Son is going to have to spend time in that relationship knowing Him. And if He needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? This isn't coming and doing and, and learning this, that it might have traction and we might go on and do things. It is that, but it's that we might also know that Lord Jesus in our lives changing us, and that takes us to spend time with Him. And so, I challenge you at the beginning of the year that we don't just get into as a church, what will we do? 
because then we will do a whole load of things and they will not have traction. They will not have cut through. But if we look to the Lord Jesus, if we spend that time reading this gospel, not to learn things, but to spend time with Him, to look at Him, to allow Him, then in His presence, both our lives are changed, and we will be able to do together and separately things common and new that begin to change lives in the power of God. Amen.